It's going to be really hard <laughs> after that. So I thank you for your patience in advance. I just feel overwhelmed. Just his presence. I just ask you, even as the word is being shared today, that you don't take your attention off of Jesus. You know, I'm so grateful for the experiences that we get to have in this house where we get to enjoy the, the glory of the Lord like that. Um, but it grieves me that some people could leave the room today and still look for their purpose. So try to find the reason that they're alive after encountering the Lord like that. And that's not to put a heavy, it's to say, wake up. He's so good. He's so beautiful. And it's, it's moments like that, and it's not just reserved for moments, but it's, it's His glory. That's why you're alive. It's to know Him. It's not reserved for the few. It's for everybody. And every single moment of every single day, the Lord is like longing with zeal and like anguish in His heart that people would just respond. The most beautiful thing He's given us is the choice to say yes to Him. Do you know that? It's beautiful. It's not a, not a weight or a burden. It's a beautiful thing that you get to say yes to Jesus. That when he comes, he, he actually waits for you to respond to him. He doesn't just force himself on you. I've been on um, a really uh, interesting journey. Um, it's maybe the best word to use for the last little while, but um, so one of the most difficult times for, for my heart, but one of the most beautiful, because I, I feel like I've experienced a freedom and a, and a liberty in the Lord um, that, I've, that I could almost equate to that feeling of being saved, um, which I believe is just the freedom that He's called us to live in permanently. Um, but what I felt the Lord doing in me was like this deep work of, of undoing and removing roots and, and, and um, wrong mindsets of way that, the ways that I'd viewed things like ministry, the ways that I'd viewed things like why I'm alive, my, my purpose, what my role is in the church, and um, understanding that the reason that I'm alive is to know Him and to minister to Him has brought an incredible indescribable liberty to my heart that I believe he wants to do in his church, not just 24-7 church, but the church globally. Um, I feel like there's so many people, and I include myself in this, that have had such a, um, uh, an unhealthy or just an incorrect view of what ministry actually is. And where that can get dangerous is we start to associate, well, why am I even alive? What is, what is my role to play in the church? Oh, well, I don't have that gifting, so maybe I, you know, this, this just isn't for me. Like, I, I've got a full-time job, and that's just the way it is, you know? And we immediately disqualify ourselves, but we miss the point of why we're actually alive, of why you're all actually sitting here today, why we even do this. If I were to ask you, and it's a rhetorical question, so don't worry, I won't be asking anyone to answer out loud. Um, but if I were to ask you what you, uh, what you think about, what you picture when you, when you think about what ministry is, what do you think about um, when you hear that? When ministry comes to mind, what are, the, what are the things that you actually picture? 
how many of, your, of you either entirely or in part disqualified yourself when you thought about it because you have a full-time job or because you don't have a preaching gifting or you're not a worship leader or something like that? Like how many of you have associated with ministry as, as tasks and these roles and these duties and these functions and, well, my life just doesn't look like that, so I'm not a part of the ministry? Um, I think if we're honest, and I can be with myself, um, I, I realized that a lot of the way that I thought about ministry was around task and around what I have to offer and what I can receive from the people around me and all that kind of stuff. And, and that's okay, um, but if we miss the real fundamental truth of what ministry actually is, then I think we've missed it altogether. Um, I think if we're, if we're only coming to, to a Sunday gathering or to a home group because we, um, we need something, because we hope that, you know, one of the leaders has prepared a, a great sermon that's just going to encourage me for the rest of the week or how I can get my blessing, how I can get my breakthrough. All of those things are beautiful things, and I believe the Lord wants us to have them. But if we miss the person of Jesus in the midst of all of that, then I really believe that we've missed absolutely everything. Everything. If ministry is more about the expectations that I have on my, my leaders to tell me how to live my life and to answer the questions about my life that I have and to fix things for me and, and how I can be blessed and encouraged for the week, then, then I, I've missed it. If I can't live and walk out this Christian life without, um, without being dependent on um, you know, having something to do in the church, like I must have this role that I fulfill, this, this, this gift that I have to give, whatever it may be, there's, there's an infinite list. But what if you don't have that? Like, are you still satisfied? I believe that the Lord is really wanting to bring back a, a healthy um, understanding of what it is to... Um, to be in ministry, what ministry actually is, and to understand that every single one of you here are called to it. You maybe just don't think so because we only have a very one-dimensional view of what ministry actually is. And uh, I, I just believe there's so much more. There's so much more for us to experience of the Lord when we just posture our hearts in that right position to actually receive from Him. When we just go like, it's not about, um, do you know that you, you have needs and desires inherently, like the Lord's actually made you that way. But do you know that those needs and those desires are actually made for Him? So oftentimes when we, have a, when we don't realize that, we don't have revelation on that, we will look anywhere and everywhere to find some kind of purpose, some kind of satisfaction in life. And sometimes it might even be good things that we go after, like things of the Lord, um, things in ministry, whatever it is, maybe it's not, you know, maybe, maybe we're looking for satisfaction in, in our promotions, in our jobs, in whether or not we have kids, um, in our relationships, in the list is endless, whatever that thing that comes up in your heart is, yes, that's what it is. Um, but actually, those needs are meant for the Lord, that those desires, those needs that you have are made solely for Him. And you will never experience, even as a born-again believer, you will never experience true satisfaction. You'll never experience true freedom unless you turn those desires and affections of your heart to the one who they were made for in the first place. And the beautiful thing is that He's actually longing for you to experience that. 
That's why I said, like, my heart, I felt so, um, like, grieved towards the end of worship because I was just so aware of the presence of the Lord. And, and I, I just felt so aware of His heart, like, going, I, I pray that there's not people that would leave today after moments like that, after encountering the beauty of Jesus, that would still wonder why they're alive afterwards. They would still wonder, well, what's, what does my life look like? What's my, what's my purpose? What's my journey? Why am I even here, God? And it's like, in those moments, and, and I've had conversations with a lot of people that are in that space, they'll feel like God is actually silent when, when you're in that season. And it's not that He's silent. He's like, here I am. But we're waiting for the answer of, well, this is why you're alive. It's for this job, or it's so that you can serve here. It's so that you can do this, it's so you can have your name made great, whatever it is, even if it's something small. But, you know, we feel like He's silent in that moment, not because He is, but because we haven't learned to listen to Him. I heard something really profound in the last couple of weeks, and it's just so resonated with my heart because I feel like it's what he's been teaching me. But I think it was Michael uh, Kulianos uh, who said, uh, so often the church is looking for direction, but the Lord is looking for affection. How much of our prayer life is consumed with trying to get answers about what we should be doing, where we should be going, the decisions that we should be making. And then again, sometimes you don't hear anything. And we're like, well, I don't know where God is. He's, he's just gone silent. I don't know if he really cares about where I am right now because I just feel stuck. And it's like we need to wake up from that space because he has put his presence inside of you. And it's not that he's not there. It's that your attention is elsewhere. I love um, uh, Psalm 139. David says, where can I go from your, from your presence? Where can I flee from your spirit? If I go to the highest heights, you are there. To the lowest lows, you are there. If I fly across the sea, you are there. The only thing that can drift from the presence of the Lord is our attention. And what's, I guess, a good thing about that is that's an easy fix. It's just a posture of our heart to go like, God, thank you that I'm yours, that you're mine, that you've put your spirit in me. You just begin to thank Him, and you can just feel like whatever weight you're carrying just begin to lift off, and the freedom of His presence within you begins to uh, manifest. It, it stops becoming something that you know as, um, as theology, something that you know that's just true. Like, yes, I know it's true that Jesus is the Son of God, but do I, do I have revelation that Jesus is the Son of God? The difference is that information just means you know something. Re revelation means you've encountered it. So you can know that freedom is yours. You can know that you're supposed to walk in true freedom um, under the power of the Holy Spirit. But you'll never live it until you encounter the person of Jesus. And the good news is that He wants to give it to you. In fact, it's already yours. I, um, I, I think the Lord is doing it in, in our community, which has been such a beautiful thing to witness. But I, I feel like the Lord is really... Um, like I said, redefining what we, what we know and understand ministry to be. Like he's really flipping it on, on its head where I think the days are coming and are now here where we don't gather like this anymore to get something, but rather we gather in these spaces to give. Where we actually come because we recognize the value of who God is, how worthy He is, that whether or not I've had the worst week of my life or the best week of my life, I have something to give Him, and it's my heart. I've been encouraging our home group with this, where it doesn't matter what you're going through. Let me set you free with this. Worship has nothing to do with what you feel and what you're going through. 
It has everything to do with who God is. So when you feel like you're in a slump, it doesn't mean that you need to try to shake that off in order to worship. No, just worship because He's good and watch Him liberate you and free you from that thing. It's just about lifting your gaze to the bigness and the beauty of Jesus. It's not about making your problems small, although Jesus, newsflash, is a lot bigger than what you're going through. He does care deeply. He, he deeply, deeply cares about the intricacies of your life. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Um, but more than just making your life feel a little bit better, He wants you to know His glory. Um, and not just unto a blessing, not just unto a promotion, not unto things just getting better, because He is everything full stop. I, I really believe, and it's just something that the Lord's been teaching me, that you can... Nothing at all can change about your circumstance. If you're going through something really hectic right now or ever have, which I'm sure everybody has, but it, all it takes is if the Lord does something in your heart, that circumstance doesn't even have to change, but you feel free from it. And I feel like even in my prayer life, like there's been seasons where I've been so consu uh, consumed with praying like that this would just change, that this would just pass away, that something else would come, that, you know, this circumstance would look a little bit different. And it doesn't, and then you, you feel like disappointed. You know, you start questioning like, well, God, are you hearing me? Like, this is really tough. I, I'm not doing well here. Like, I need you to change this. But I think that the invitation more and more, what I'm seeing, because when we read the word, things are actually going to get a little bit more hectic. Jesus said, in the world, you'll have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So I think it's sometimes, I'm not saying every time, but sometimes less about just trying to pray for something to change and more about, Lord, change the perspective of my heart. Help me to see you. Help me to know you more than I did yesterday. And I promise you, nothing else has to change, but you'll suddenly feel like you actually have the dominion that you do. You'll feel like you have the authority that you've been given. It will become manifest in you because you see the, the lordship of Jesus and not the difficulty of your situation. I'm just trying to lay a bit of a foundation for us to understand that um, I really do believe that gone are the days in Jesus' name that we just come to gatherings like this because we, we need something. Again, it's okay to need, but, but He's the one that we need. Um, and I think gone are the days where we're just going to be living from Sunday to Sunday. This should not be your only encounter until next week Sunday. He paid for a life, a lifestyle of intimacy, a lifestyle of encounter that is for you. Do you hear me? It's for you. I know you know this, but sometimes you don't believe it. So it's good to shake up your heart a little bit and go, actually, I'm, I'm born for this. I'm born to encounter Jesus, not just to know about him, to know him, the person of Jesus, to feel his manifest presence in, in my life. And that's his desire for you. Um, I have been rocked many times throughout my walk with the Lord um, out of Exodus chapter 33. If you have your Bibles, you can go there. Um, this is one of my favorite, favorite um, pieces of Scripture that I, I feel like the Lord has consistently brought me back to time and time and time again. And every time I read it, I feel like I'm reading it for the first time. Or there's new layers and new understandings that he's wanting to, to bring and, and wanting to teach me. And spoiler alert, it's really just about his presence. 
um, and I believe what he's called us as the church to be. I believe there's so much in what we're going to read here that gives us a really clear understanding of what ministry is actually supposed to be, of what the purpose of you being alive and being here actually is. So I, my prayer is that by the end of today, you would throw that weight off of being confused about your life. And that you would be filled with the awe of God and realize that you were made for His glory. And that's not a settling thing. That is the highest high that you can ever imagine. So to give a little bit of context, um, Israel is in a really interesting place um, over here. They have just been um, liberated from Egypt. They've just come out of Egypt and uh, they're in the desert. And uh, the Lord blessed them. Not only did He set them free from over 400 years of slavery, but the Scriptures even use words like they, they plundered Egypt. Like they even got all of the gold and the silver. So the Lord didn't just free them, even like blessed them extravagantly. Um, but what was the reason that the Lord freed them? Sure, it was the right thing to do. They were slaves. That wasn't good. Um, but what did He say? What was the word of the Lord to Moses to give to Pharaoh? He said, let my people go that they may come out into the desert and worship me. So the purpose of their freedom of being liberated from Egypt wasn't just to be free. It was that the Lord was actually welcoming them into a place of why they were actually alive, what he had for them as a people, which was to be a people of his presence. And what happened was where we get to with Exodus 33 is that Israel got a little bit lost um, and the reason is the, the blessing became more important than his presence. Um, so they, you know the story. They make, uh, while Moses is up on the mountain with the Lord, which just rocks me, they have seen signs and wonders like nobody alive has ever seen. Uh, but because they didn't have personal, intimate encounter with the Lord, the, the environment of His glory wasn't enough because they missed the person of who Jesus was. And because of that, Moses was right there, cloud of glory on the mountain, fire, thundering, smoke. God was there, undeniably, right? Um, but because they were getting a little bit twisted and the blessing became more important, they decided to rather build a golden calf and to worship it, which sounds insane, but so often we actually do this in our lives. Do you know what they made the golden calf out of? Um, it says that, that Aaron actually asked all of Israel to bring him the gold that they had from Egypt. So it was like bracelets and earrings. And he actually used the wealth of now Israel to make a golden calf. So the golden calf represented the blessing that the Lord had just given them. It represented the new wealth that the nation had found, and they chose to exalt that over the glory of God that they were standing right next to. And this is a hectic thing, um, but I, I laugh because often we read these, these stories and we're like, oh, wow, they were so stupid. I mean, come on. But so much of modern-day church life is like this, yeah. where sometimes, you know, even if it's a subconscious thing, sometimes we come here to be blessed. And because he's full of mercy and grace, you will be blessed by, just by being near his presence. That's just the nature of who he is. He loves us so deeply. But what I feel like the caution in our hearts is to not make the point of why we engage with the Lord 
about the blessing that I may or may not get. I don't pursue God hoping that I'm going to get a promotion, that I'm going to get an increase in my finances, that that relationship works out, or what it, a million different things that it could be. I'm not pursuing the Lord unto something else. I'm pursuing Him because that's what I was made for. I'm pursuing Him because He's everything. He's beautiful, He's worthy, and He's the only reason that I'm alive. He's the only thing that could ever satisfy the desires of my heart. And again, what, what actually terrifies me, what puts the fear of God in me, is that you can be in those environments. They were not strangers to the glory of God. You know, like, don't overlook that part of the story. It wasn't just Moses that saw the glory. He just went, chose, uh, he chose to go in. He chose to be face to face with God, that nothing else could actually um, steal the affections of his heart. But with Israel, it became more about the blessing. So let's look at what happens. That's sort of the context of where we are. Um, so Exodus 33 from verse, from verse 1 says, The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you've brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go to a land flowing with milk and honey. Okay, pause. Do you understand how significant that is? How crazy what the Lord just said there is? Often we, we overlook these parts of the story because like contextually or culturally, we don't really understand the significance of something. What the Lord just said that they could have is a promise that he gave to the nation of Israel over 400 years uh, before this was happening. So this is like a generational promise that, you know, the story of this promise of the Lord has been passed down from generation to generation to generation. And in a moment, the Lord is like, you know what, you can have it. And not only can you have it, I'm actually going to send an angel before you to clear out all the rest of the people. Like, you're not even going to have to fight for it. I'm just going to give you the land flowing with milk and, uh, milk and honey. But there's a catch. Verse 3, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Interesting. So you can have... Everything that I've promised you for generations, over 400 years, in a moment a promise could be fulfilled. The Lord's like, I'll clear the way, you can have it all. But there's one catch, I'm not going with you. I'm actually going to withhold my presence from you. And interesting, he calls them a stiff-necked people. For such a long time, I never understood what that meant. I was like, that's a weird thing to say. <laughs> like, of all the things you could call people, God, like a stiff-necked people. But what it is... Um, Peter actually talks about it in a different way in 1 Peter chapter 1, where he talks about how we've been ransomed from the futile ways inherited from our forefathers. Those futile ways are that you can be in the environment of the glory of God. You can see Him demonstrating uh, His acts. You can see the power of God. You can see other people being touched and changed, um, yet you don't turn your heart to that yourself. You keep your uh, affections and, and your desires centered around your own life and how this could benefit you rather than seeing it as an opportunity to give God the glory that is due to Him. So 
They're a stiff-necked people because they were stubborn to turn from their ways, to turn from the, the uh, extravagance of the blessing that they now received, of this new life, this newfound freedom, like, oh, yeah, we're, we're liberated from slavery. We can now do whatever we want. They wouldn't turn away from that to serve the one true living God. That's why they were stiff-necked people. But here's where it gets really interesting. Oh, let me just say this. You could read that, uh, the Lord saying, I'll not go up among you. You could read that and maybe think to yourself, well, that kind of looks like the Lord's love is conditional. That because they didn't do X, Y, Z, or because they did do X, Y, Z, they're on their own now. And it is not for a moment that His love is conditional. Israel made a choice. And something that I've noticed in my own life and that I see in the life of the church is that often believers feel powerless to make the choice for themselves. You feel like you're stuck in a situation and like you just can't do anything about it. Like you're just waiting for God to do something. You feel powerless to choose Him over whatever you're dealing with. You feel powerless to choose Him over, let's be real, um, selfish ambition. You feel powerless to choose Him over the things that you're stuck in. But actually inherently in who you've been designed to be, the Lord has given you the ability, I said it earlier, it's the the privilege to be able to choose Him. That is... uh, Khan says it all the time, like it's not true love unless you get to choose it. The Lord freed these people, and, and not just because of freedom's sake, but to come and worship Him, to actually come and be ministers to the Lord. And they chose blessing over presence. Does that make sense? But listen to their response, right? So He says, I go up to a land uh, flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. It says, when the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned. I don't know about you, but when I read that, I see the mercy of God. Um, And maybe you're like, what? Um, I find it so beautiful that they were so caught up in idolatry, yet the moment that the Lord says, I'm not going to go with you anymore, something like ached in their hearts. Khan said a couple of weeks ago, something that has really stuck with me, that the way that the Lord disciplines us is by educating us on who we are. Does that make sense? The way He disciplines us is by telling us who we actually are. So if you're stuck in something like sin, the attributes of sin is guilt, shame, and condemnation. So God doesn't need to give you guilt, shame, and condemnation. He'll rather tell you who you are so that you can live in the freedom of that that He actually paid for, right? So I see this in this moment that the people hear that God's not going to come with them and they mourn because suddenly they realize what they were actually born for and what they chose to give that up for. That actually the wealth of Egypt, as nice as it was, we've got all this stuff now, was not even close to being able to be compared with the glory of God. So they mourned at the thought of Him not being there anymore. I call that mercy. I don't know about you. And then we see this, um, this pause in the story from verse 7. In, in my Bible, there's like a little title here called The Tent of Meeting. So there's this intense, you know, story busy un- unveiling here where the Lord says, you can have everything I've, I've ever promised you as a nation, but I'm not going with you. And then there's this pause. It's as if to say, like, we've seen, like, the heart that God is not looking for, which is one that's consumed with how, 
how he can benefit me and make my life better with blessing, with wealth, with riches, with relationships, with children, whatever it is. And then we get this pause in the story that gives us a little bit of a window into the life of Moses. And I believe that this is a, a little bit of um, the heart of what the Lord has called us to be as, as ministers to the Lord. So it says from verse 7, Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside of the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud, that's the glory of the Lord, would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, uh, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Listen to this, this is so beautiful. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again to the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. I love this so much because it really gives us a, a really clear, beautiful picture of what we're actually called to. And it's face to face with God. Face to face in His glory. And you might, I know I've done this, you might read something like, oh, you know, a cloud of glory descend and that's how you commune and go like, oh, I wish we had that. But we need to understand that we have something greater. See, a cloud of glory does sound awesome and yes, I'd love to see that and experience it. Um, but actually, the tent of meeting is now you. You get to be a, a living, breathing, moving tent of meeting um, for the King of glory. That face-to-face -face is not bound to uh, an external room, but wherever you are, you are actually positioned for a face-to-face -face encounter with God. And His desire is to speak to you face-to-face -face as a man would speak to his friend. And then we get a, a little bit more uh, detail where we see what Joshua would do is, even when Moses left, Joshua would not depart. He would linger. He would recognize God is here and I don't want to move. I don't want to move from Him. Because he's everything. He's beautiful. Like my heart comes alive. Like I don't need these riches, these blessings, whatever it is. I need the presence of Jesus. So he lingered. I love that. It wasn't just he got his five minutes and he's ready, set for the week. He lingered, right? So now we see Moses goes and intercedes on behalf of Israel um, before the Lord which in itself is a picture of what Jesus is doing right now for us before the throne. Hebrews 7 says he lives to make intercession for us. So even when you mess up, you can be encouraged knowing that Jesus is alive to make intercession for you. So you are covered. So Moses says to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now listen to this. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Isn't it beautiful that Israel is in probably one of the worst times they've ever been in where the presence of God is is, you know, potentially going to be withheld from them. And rather than Moses going and first making this cry on behalf, the first thing that he says is, "Please show me your ways." that I may know you. 
That's the first thing that he says to the Lord. Show me your ways. We know Psalm 103 says Israel knew his acts. Moses knew his ways. What does that mean? So Israel could see the glory. They could see the, uh, the pillar of fire, water from the rock. They could see the, the signs and wonders. They could see God moving and doing incredible things. But Moses knew his ways, which if I could put it simply means this, to know the ways of someone is to know the character and the motivations of their heart. In other words, why they do the things that they do. See, Moses had that understanding where even when God says, I'm going to take my presence away, his response is, show me your ways that I may know you, that I can find favor in your sight. And then he says, consider too that this nation is your people. I, I love that. He's first concerned about, God, I just want to know you. Oh, and also, don't forget about Israel, please. You know, <laughs> He's just so taken by the Lord, you know. And this is so beautiful. Verse 14. Look how, how simple this was. This wasn't like th throwing ashes over his head and weeping and pressing his face into the floor. It was a simple heart posture of, I want to know your ways, that I may know you. And immediately the Lord's response is, my presence will go with you and, and I will give you rest. Isn't that beautiful? He just asked for his presence and he's like, I'll give you presence and I'll give you rest. This Next verse, verse 15, I believe, um, I believe that it is the Lord's desire that this would be the language of our hearts. Moses says to him, even after now, everything's pretty much settled in a sense that the Lord's like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll go with you. I love you. I'll give you peace. I'll give you my presence. And Moses' response to that is, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Again, you've got to understand like contextually the significance of that. They're, they're in a desert. They have nothing. Every single day, every single moment, they only have the Lord to lean on. So they have no idea where provision is going to come. They have no idea where food or water is going to come. They only know that they have the Lord. And Moses' choice, in the midst of having basically two decisions of, hey, you can go and have Everything that's ever been promised to you as a nation, a land flowing with milk and honey, everything that you could ever need, I'll even clear the way from you, uh, for you, um, or my presence. And Moses actually chooses to stay in a horrible place, knowing that he has the presence of the Lord. It's as if to say, Moses understood that even if he had everything uh, that the world would have to offer him, he really has nothing if he doesn't have the presence of God. And if he has absolutely nothing, he's stuck in a desert with an entire nation of people who moan all the time. <laughs> but he has the presence of the Lord, that he actually has everything. And the language of his heart is, don't bring us up from here if it means your presence won't go with us. I don't know about you, but I've, I've never said that to the Lord. Being in a really difficult place, has that ever been your language? Oh God, I want to stay here if it means your presence is here, you know? <laughs> But I really do believe that he's inviting us into that kind of depth of intimacy with him. Where, like I said before, it, it, I, I believe he's drawing us into a place where it really doesn't matter what you're going through. And I'm not belittling your situation or your circumstance. I'm just saying that the glory of God is greater than your situation or your circumstance. And that I believe that as we, as we press into this, as we pursue the Lord, it will be the language of our hearts to go like, look, as long as I'm encountering you, Lord, I don't care where I am. If I'm in the worst place of my life or the best place of my life, if I have no idea where I'm going or I have 
totally know where I'm going. All that matters to me is that I have your glory. All that matters to me is that I have your presence. And listen what he says. He says, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? Did you catch that? We've got to smash this thing that, you know, uh, what shows the world that we're believers is that we're really blessed and prosperous people. That's not what my Bible just said. Does the Lord want to bless you? Absolutely. Amen and amen. Is that what's going to show the world that you're a believer? No. Do you know that like you can go all the way down the list, like the wealthiest of the wealthy in the world are like the furthest things from believers. So if that's the standard, then we're not doing very well, you know. But Moses actually makes it so clear. He says, is it not in your going with us that makes us distinct from every other people on the face of the earth? It's his presence. It's his presence. If we're not drenched in his presence, if all we are concerned about is my little life, what I need, then the reality is we look no different from the world when actually we have a treasure living inside of us. And that's that like grief that I was speaking about earlier. It's like we need to wake up. Like it's not okay to, to settle for that kind of life. Um, where we feel like we're stuck, but the treasure of His presence is already inside of us. Don't be a stiff-necked people. Let's turn to see the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken, I will do for you. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. He knows us so intimately. Like you can really go to Him with anything. I love this. Again, it's like everything's resolved. You know, the Lord's going to go with him. He's found rest. Uh, Moses has this revelation that it's his presence that makes Israel distinct from every other people group. And, you know, they're kind of in this position where even though that's resolved, there is really like an urgent need for the word of the Lord now. Like, okay, now that we've got that sorted, Lord, speak into the situation. What are we going to do? What's the direction? What are, we, what are we doing here? Instead, verse 18 and I can, I can like hear the, the anguish, the cry of Moses' heart in this scripture where he just says, please show me your glory. He already has his presence. But he's still asking. He's so hungry. He recognizes the beauty and the value of who Jesus is. That even when everything's already been sorted out, he doesn't even say thank you. He just says, please show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. Have you ever had the Lord speak his name over you? So often we're so caught up with wanting a word over our life. Like even in those moments, you ever felt that? I know I have. You're like, oh, why didn't I get a word? You know, <laughs> I want his name spoken over me. And he's doing that, just to encourage you. So now, 
the Lord is about to reveal his glory in a greater measure to Moses. And if you jump down uh, to chapter 34, um, verse 5, it says, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. What is he doing? He's revealing himself to Moses. When we talk about the presence of God filling in the room, we're not talking about a vibe or just a feeling. It comes with a feeling, sure. But what we're talking about is the person of Jesus. And I love that here there's not some profound word or like, uh, you know, vision or direction of now what Israel's got to do or where they've got to go. The first thing, the first order of business, the, the one thing, the most important thing is that the Lord reveals to Moses who he is. He says, I'm the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And what rocks me, and I, and I pray that this would be the posture of the church, if you just jump to verse 8, to his response, it says, Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. How often, when we recognize the presence of God coming into the room, do we first like, oh, well, you know, Lord, it's just, I've had a really tough week, and I just don't feel good right now. Like, we think about all the reasons why we can't respond right now. But I love that it says, Moses quickly bowed his head to worship. Like there was no time to deliberate what to do. There wasn't time to assess how he was feeling, what he should do. It was just like, I'm worshiping you. I'm bowing low. And I pray that this would be the response of the church, that we would be a people that are so zealous for the presence of God, that when he comes into the room, when he manifests his presence among us, which he does every single week, just by the way, um, that we would be a people that would be quick to worship, that we would be a people that would be quick to posture our hearts in a, in a place of, of bowing, to be, um, to be low before Him, that we wouldn't deliberate, you know, first how we feel, whether this is the right response, but that we'd be so taken with how beautiful He is, that He's everything, that the only right response is, have all of me. And He says, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people. He says, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. It's like on behalf of an entire nation. That's a lot of pressure to carry on one guy, right? But on behalf of an entire nation, Moses sees the Lord rightly as revelation of who he is. And he says, come and take us for your inheritance. Family, what I'm trying to communicate today is I, I believe that what we're seeing here is a healthy perspective of what real, or, or let me say what the fundamentals of ministry actually is. You are here today to worship Jesus. You are here to give Him the glory and the worth that is due His name. And by the grace of God, you get to receive something as well. But we don't just come to receive. We don't just come to get something. I don't just come with the expectation that I'm just going to be blessed by whatever somebody else does today. But imagine what these gatherings would look like if every single week, every single one of us were relentless in our pursuit of Jesus. That when we came here, we weren't looking for something to fix our lives, but we were actually coming with an offering to give the Lord. 
if every single one of us just knew how to go straight in, if every single one of us, um, it, it didn't matter what we were going through, but we were so taken by the glory of the Lord. If you think what we have experienced even this morning is wild, I feel like we ain't seen nothing yet. Imagine if it didn't take us time to enter in when he's already standing there. He's already like, I'm, I'm here. I've, I've paid the price. Just don't be a stiff-necked people. Just turn and see me. You don't have to figure it out first. Just behold me. Just love me. I will, I will declare my name over you. I will reveal myself to you. I will show you my glory. I will let all my goodness pass before you. And I will take you as my inheritance. That's wild. That's wild. The Lord's positioning us to be a people of His presence. And I know for my own life, I really want to be ruthless in guarding my heart and not letting statements like that just become familiar language. Like, oh yeah, we're 24-7 church. We're, our occupation is the face of God. Like, what are we actually saying? We've said this so many times, but in, in the original Hebrew, the word for presence is face. So when we talk about His presence in the room... That's that tent of meeting moment. It's, it's face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And all I'm asking is for you to ask yourself the question is, how different would your response be if you knew that that was actually for you? If you knew that that was happening every moment of every day, that the face of God was available for you to encounter and posture yourself towards, how differently would you live your life? Would you still be looking for purpose? He's made us to be a people of His presence. Everything else is secondary. Everything else. Is there work to be done? Absolutely. You know, I'm not saying now we mustn't do anything and, and, and only worship, although that, that's a good place to start. I think we're not going to do anything well if we're not living first and foremost from that place. Do you know why we, why we preach the gospel? And don't just say, because Jesus told us to. <laughs> like, that is right, yes. Um, I'll actually read it for you real quick. It's in 1 John, if you are taking notes. One John chapter one. From verse one it says, That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Beautiful, right? Listen to this. Verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, speaking about Jesus, um, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We preach the gospel because as, as a people of God, our fellowship is supposed to be with the Lord. We're a people of His presence, which means where we are, His glory dwells. And the reason why we preach the gospel is because the Lord desires all to come to the knowledge of who He is. So when we preach the gospel, the invitation is to come and have fellowship with us because our fellowship is with the Lord. 
when the motivation is worship and His presence, you will do anything for God. When it's just about, well, this is what you do in ministry, you're going to get tired, you're going to get burnt out, you're going to feel like you fail all the time, you're going to question why you're even alive, is this really what God's called me to? Never let the assignment become your purpose. Your purpose is to know God. Your assignment can change day to day. Our fellowship, isn't that beautiful? Our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. My encouragement today um, is that the Lord would ignite the fire in your heart again of why you're actually alive. That it's not just to be blessed, although He will bless you. It's not just to have that cool job, although you may get that cool job. It's not just to be on serve teams, although you may be on the serve teams. It's to know God intimately, personally. Not just information about, but encounter, revelation, personal, intimate experience. And I really want you to believe that. Because tomorrow when you wake up, most of us might not be there with you to encourage you with that. But Jesus will. And his invitation is ever present for you to encounter him. Is that okay? Awesome. Um, I With that in mind, I just really want us to, to worship. Um, we never stop worshiping, and it's not that music is worship, but it is an expression of worship. And I think it's one of those universal kind of ways that just helps us a little bit to, to enter in, you know. Um, and my encouragement is that as we, as we sing, to know that you're already positioned for an encounter with Jesus. He's already taken care of that. So don't start from a place where you need to try get things right to have an encounter. I'm telling you right now, you are already in the perfect place to be face-to-face -face with God. The perfect place. So Jesus, we love you. We love you, Lord. We thank you. We thank you for your presence. God, thank you that we are alive to know you. We're alive to know you, Lord. Thank you that you do not withhold your presence from us, but you have so strongly desired for us to live in your presence. God, I pray this morning that we would no longer just be a people of information, Lord, that know all the right things about what you've given us, as true as what they may be. But God, I pray for revelation this morning, Lord, that the truth of your word would cut to our hearts this morning to realize the access that you have given us by faith into the holy of holies to encounter the man, Jesus. Lord, let that fire burn in our hearts. Let the burden of having life figured out and our path figured out and our purpose figured out, let that burn away, Lord, and let the reality of what you made us alive for be cemented in our hearts today in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, God, I ask you for your manifest presence in the room. I thank you for every weight and burden to get things right, to fall off right now. God, I thank you that you have dealt with everything on the cross. You've dealt with everything, Jesus. And even the picture of a cross is an eternal picture of the open arms of the Savior welcoming us. So Lord, this morning, take us for your inheritance. Take us for your inheritance, Lord. We are your people. We are yours, Jesus. We want to bless you and we want to love you. We give you glory in Jesus' name. Jesus' name.